Are you all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? Come along quietly or not. I will talk to you of art. For there is nothing else. Some artists make a Yes. Bite upon it. Hello folks, this is Albert Shivers and this is yet another episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. On this episode today, I am excited, honored even, to be joined by writer Susan Silver. She just wrote a new book not too long ago called Hot Pants in Hollywood. Susan was a writer on the Mary Tyler Moore show. She worked on Laughing. She wrote for the Bob Newhart Show, The Partridge Family. She did two movies of the weeks, A Couple Takes a Wife in 1972, and The Girl Who Came Gift Wrapped in 1974. Her credits extend through decades. And on top of all that, she was a very nice, sweet woman who it was glorious to talk to her. And she's got a lot of stories through the years. So we're going to get to her in a second, but before we get to her, a little news on what I'm up to. I got a big jazz art show coming. One of my girls, Courtney, she was on a few episodes ago, about 10 episodes ago, before all this shit hit the fan. Um, She has a new gallery called the Create and Be Art Studio. Next month, August 22nd and 23rd, her and I... And her partners, Sylvia Thompson and Namu, are going to be joining forces to create an art show called Jazz Ain't Dead. It's going to feature all my jazz artwork and some very rare jazz photography that I've been collecting over the years. This photography hasn't been seen by nobody. It's like King Tut. It's been in the, it's been in the safe. And I'm going to break some of it out of the safe and show people for the first time. This is like when Gleason took the lost episodes out of the safe in 1985 and gave the world 103 new episodes of The Honeymooners. But that's a story for another day. Um, Again, this show is going to be August 22nd and 23rd. Because of the corona, they're going to be selling tickets. Um, As memory serves, there are going to be two slots each day so that's four opportunities to come and see the show um 10 tickets for each slot which means 20 people a day this is exclusive you so you go to their website you get the tickets now now before i get to the website courtney and sylvia are going to be giving you a tour through the artwork they're going to prop me up in the corner like a scarecrow and people push a button on my chest and i start to talk but they're going to be giving you a tour through the gallery itself and also down the hallway where there'll be more art. There's a hallway right outside the gallery that they're able to utilize also. For any more information on this show and even what they're going to be doing in the future, because I'm going to tell you, these gals have a fantastic future in this town. They're bringing in the youth. They're getting young people interested in art finally in this godforsaken place. So I'm excited for what they're going to do. So to learn about the Jazz Ain't Dead show or their future shows, you go to www.cb, 
www.cbcbartculture.com. I'm going to say it again. www.cbartculture.com. They got a lot of cool stuff coming up, and um, you're not going to want to miss it. And if you want to learn more about what they're up to, you can go back to um, my previous episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. The name of that episode is Create and Be. I'll come up with a number and put it in the comments on which what number episode that is. Second in the news, um, I did an interview recently with jazz author Debbie Burke. Um, she runs a jazz blog on the internet and she interviews mostly new jazz musicians, um, ones that maybe aren't as mainstream as other new ones. You know, like, uh, you know, we th when you think if you're into jazz and you're into new jazz, for me personally, the first name that comes to mind is Esperanza Spaulding and um, Kamasi Washington. Um, but they're pretty popular, even though jazz ain't that popular. But she interviews other new jazz artists. And she decided to take a chance on me being a jazz visual artist. Most of my work is jazz related. Not all of it, but most of it. So she asked me about my process, about my favorite musicians, why I draw them, how I found my style. She asked a lot of good, interesting questions, and I tried to give her good, interesting answers. Um, I'll let you guys know when that article is going to be posted. It's not posted yet, but I'm just telling you to be on the lookout. If you want to see more of her work, go on the Google, go on YouTube, go on any of those search engines. Type in Debbie Burke, jazz author. You could read some articles, maybe discover a new musician, some new music that you never heard before. Because let me tell you, this whole pandemic, I'm sitting here locked away like a fugitive, and it's been music that has made it a little bit easier. I was able to dive deeper into the jazz artists I like. I got really deep into the Mills Brothers. I got really deep into Hank Williams III for a while. And I also discovered a, a Korean group called the Barbarettes. They are very old style. They do, um, I'll tell you what hooked me with them is um, they did a cover of Duke Ellington's Satin Doll. And then they also did a cover of uh, Mr. Sandman, Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. Oh, that was such a, I was so close to messing that title up. They cover a lot of old songs from the 40s and 50s. They also cover some new tunes. They do an Amy Winehouse cover and their original music. Although I can't understand the language, the rhythm, the music is fantastic. They're a talented group of girls, and um, yeah, no, they, they do great stuff. I, I, I love the Barbarettes now. Um, so I, I've been watching their YouTube videos rec uh, pretty often recently. And they, interestingly enough, I, say I learned about two groups from one. They were inspired by a group called the Kim Sisters also out of Korea, but way back when. Um, they were on um, Ed Sullivan with their brothers. There was Kim Brothers too. But the Kim sisters were very much the same. They, But at the time, they were doing contemporary covers. Um, two popular ones, at least here in the States, is that they covered Little Darling, which was originally written by the Gladiolas. 
and then it was covered by a Canadian duop group called the Diamonds, and the Kim sisters did it. And you can see, you know, it, it's kind of sticky from the American point of view. They they treated them like, look at these Korean girls. They're singing American music. Isn't that cute? But when you get past that, you know, that was their foot in the door, you know? And when you get past that, you realize that there's incredible talent behind these gals. They also cover um, All Shook Up, which is a lot of fun. I learned about two groups in one, so music has been helping me through this thing, more so than anything else. Even if it's not um, this jazz blog, go on YouTube. Go down the rabbit hole. It's it, it always you always end up coming out the other end with something you either didn't expect and something you may like. You know, you jump down the rabbit hole, you might come out the other end with some tricks. That's all. That's all there is to it. Um, got a lot of cool guests coming, a lot of good people in the works. But right now, the spotlight belongs on Susan Silver. Her and I have again fantastic conversation. We get into a lot of things. But we don't get into everything, because after you hear this, you got to go buy the book. It's on Amazon. You could buy a hard copy and read it, or you could buy it on Audible, and you could listen to Susan narrate the book herself. And isn't it always better when an author, specifically autobiography, narrates the book themselves? It adds so much more authenticity to it. So you could find her book on Amazon, like I said, and you could also go to her website. And the website is hotpantsinhollywood.com. There's a lot of interesting extra stuff on her website. You could see a lot of photos as well of her career through the years. So let's give the stage to Susan Silver right now, and I'll catch you on the other end. Today is a pretty exciting day because we have on Susan Silver, who is a sitcom writer who worked on shows like The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Laugh-In, and The Bob Newhart Show, amongst many other things you've accomplished. So thanks so much for doing the show. Thank you. I'm going to put my glasses on so okay. I can see, and then I'll take okay. them off every once in a while. That's fine. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. How are you? Good. Good. Well, as good as one can be, let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah. I haven't been out of the house. Well, I haven't been out of my apartment for three months, but I have a garden, so I get to okay. go out there. So it's nice. That's good. Yeah, I've. It's been crazy. I've been cooped up too, and just started to get the hang of doing um, video Zoom calls and things to keep the podcast going. Cool. Cool. So you were born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and um, as I listened to your audio book. Um, I just have to say right off the bat, I love the name of your high school, um, Whitefish Bay. Whitefish Hi. Bay, that it was just, the suburb. Like, it, um, the name of it cracked me up for a moment. Um, but, but yeah, so how, um, what got you interested in writing? You know, 
I always wrote, even when I was like a little kid. In fact, right on my desk here, I have a poem I wrote about death when I was 11. I don't know what I was wow. thinking. But I used to sit at my father's desk and write. And I, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. I just didn't know what kind until mm. um, I was an only child. I lived inside my head and I played with my dolls. And then I wasn't allowed to do anything scary like cross the street. So I had to escape slowly mm -hmm. to Northwestern. That was as far as I could get. Then I escaped to UCLA and I went into uh, screenwriting and TV at UCLA. Gotcha. Gotcha. So then... From, from that point, um, I know you did a little bit of extra work. Was that in between, um, like, your big writing jobs and college? No, that was in college okay. when I was just, I didn't want to go back. Who would want to go back to Milwaukee in the summer, if I may say? Right. Milwaukee's a great place to be born, but then you have to leave. Right. Um, so I got a job as an extra in the movies, and that was the beginning of kind of meeting everybody. And right. I was in Viva Las Vegas, and so in my book... I'll plug my book, Hot yeah, Pants sure. in Hollywood. <laughs> Hot Pants in Hollywood, Sex, Secrets, and Sitcom. Picture of me and Elvis. Mm. And I tell a story about Elvis in there. And so that was the beginning of kind of meeting everybody in the world. And then I went to school with Jim Morrison wow. of The Doors, who was a really good friend and someone I really liked a lot. And from what I understand from your book, um, you had known this was pre-Doors, Jim Morrison. Yeah. This was when he was in college, and he had a bull haircut like like your mother puts the bowl on top of your head and short. And we had a friend who was very sort of motorcycle and all leather and long hair named mm. Max. And he kind of imitated Max's look. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. He was a lovely guy, very sweet, very sensitive. We used to sit outside and eat lunch outside the theater arts uh, part of the building. Wow. That's really cool. That's really cool. So what was it that um, got your foot in the door to become a sitcom writer? Well, it was kind of a circuitous route. Um, back in the day, as a woman, you couldn't do anything but be a secretary. So my mother said, mm -hmm. typing in shorthand, and I said no. Mm -hmm. So when it came time to look for a job, I couldn't get a job because I didn't have typing in shorthand. So I got a job at a television station in the... Um, press department and I took something called speed writing which was like a different thing that and I couldn't read it so I had a boss who was kind of old and he would dictate letters to me and I would make them up mm -hmm. because I couldn't do what you needed to do and then I met a guy who was the producer of the Mort Saul talk show and I got a job as the associate producer of the talk show I didn't really know what I was doing and then Mort fired five people ahead of me and I became the producer in six months and I really didn't know what I was doing. Right. <laughs> so it was just some little things like that. Then I got a job in advertising. Then I saw an ad for Rowan and Martin's Laughing to do casting. And I got a job there. And my boss was an older guy and he died. I had nothing to do with it, I promise. <laughs> and I became the casting director. And there I met everybody in the world. And I met a girl named Iris Rayner Dart who wrote Beaches. Okay. You might know the movie. Yeah. And she was being managed by Gary Marshall, the famous writer-director, and he had a group of young writers. And she and I wrote a script, and he became my manager, and that was how it all started. Wow, that's awesome. So before we chatted, um, I happened to be watching the Mary Tyler Moore show, and oh. one, one thing that I was thinking about is to a younger generation, a, a woman in the workplace... That idea doesn't seem so far-fetched, um, but at the time, it was, was pretty groundbreaking. 
and not only was there women in the workplace on the screen, but from what I gathered from your book, there were a lot of women behind the scenes as well on that show. Well, to tell you the truth, there were only like two women comedy writers before, okay. and one was um, was um, Treva Silverman on the Mary Tyler Moore Show, and Jim Brooks and, and Alan Burns were the producers, and they actively sought women out. It was the first time any show had asked for women. Hmm. That girl had been a show before with Marlo Thomas, and Iris and I went for an interview, and there were a couple old guys there, and... We didn't, I think we got the assignment, but they didn't shoot the script, whatever. Um, and so there were very, very few women, but Jim and Alan wanted there to be, and they sought us out. So when I said to Gary, I saw that show, Mary Tyler Moore is from Minneapolis, I'm from Milwaukee, people confuse that. Um, <laughs> she worked in a small television station, I worked in a small television, I can do it. So he got me an interview there, and I pitched some stories, and they said, if we get picked up, because they started half in the mid-season, will hire you and they did and it was my first show and I always say it was like 20 years downhill after that I mean it never was as good as that that was the best experience ever and it's a, it's still a wonderful show that holds up today it was at the beginning of feminism feminism helped Mary and Mary helped feminism right as a writer so in a sitcom you're juggling a lot of different characters and you have to sort of keep those characters the same they can't divert too much from their personality from one episode to the other, even though there are several writers. So what is it like? How did you manage to keep those characters true to themselves in the episodes that you wrote? Uh, when I teach sitcom writing, I, I say this, and that's a good question. Sitcom writing is really listening to the voice. It's really radio because, you know, you're in a set and you're not doing a lot of action and it's really knowing that Rhoda sounds different than Mary and that Mary sounds different than Phyllis. And the great thing about that show and why I think it's so brilliant and still lives is those characters were created so incredibly well around her. I say it was like a spoke around a wheel. She was the center and all the characters were like very different and represented different things. And once you had a good ear and could hear that, you could plug in your show to that. Plus, we had all-day story meetings. Back in the day, there weren't writer's rooms. You, you went in for a meeting, you pitched your story, then you went home and wrote it, mm -hmm. turned it in, got notes, back and forth, back and forth. But they gave you an all-day meeting. And other shows would give you 20 minutes, and you didn't know what they wanted. So it was right. a very collaborative, good experience, and that's why I think those shows were so much better than a lot of the other shows. <laughs> gotcha. Um, what was it like working on Laughing? Laughing was, was really fun. Um, I was the casting person, but I was also the receptionist in the beginning. I was sitting out in the lobby, and all the people that came in on the show walked through there, and one day I was sitting there, and I looked up, and I saw this really scary guy with a black cape and long hair. It was Tiny Tim, and I screamed. Now, young people, Google Tiny Tim. He was kind of yeah. like this vampire, mm -hmm. <laughs> but he was a really sweet guy. Anyway, I, I met everybody, including Richard Nixon, so it was a, it was a place that everybody came through, and it was, it was really fun. Nice. And um, you also worked with Bob Newhart on his show. Um, can you go into a little bit of that? Bob Newhart was and is the loveliest person in show business. I mean, he's the greatest, nicest human being. Hmm. And he was a little bit like my husband in that he was kind of laconic. He didn't say a lot. And I was a little like Suzanne Plachette. I used to call her <laughs> a tiny plesh, which is plesh hmm. And she was kind of a funny body person. 
And so it was easy for me to write because I wrote stories from my own life. I did two of them, and um, they were things that had happened to my husband and me. So that was easy. Gotcha. gotcha. You write what you know. Yeah. So throughout well, your... See, in fact, you, it's funny you say that because I thought in the beginning that you weren't allowed to make things up. I thought you had to write like from your own life. So every time I went in, I pitched a story from my own life. So mm-hmm. a lot of the stories seemed new because there weren't a lot of women pitching stories. Like Mary Tyler Moore, every girl knows at some point in your life, you have to stand up for a wedding and wear a hideous dress. Mm-hmm. Well, the guys didn't know that. So when right. I came, they thought, oh my God, it's genius. Every girl knows that. So, I mean, it's a different voice. It's a different sensibility. Gotcha. Eventually, I learned you, you were allowed to make things up because I started to run out of my life. And then I was like panicking, you know, what should I write about? Mm. And you also worked on uh, the Partridge family as well. I did. Partridge family, I did a few. Um, that, I wasn't quite as close to the bunch as I was to the MTM. But I did put her, I did put Shirley Jones in hot pants. Because I wore hot pants, as the title of my book says, Hot Mm. Pants in Hollywood. And that was like a huge, that again was from my own life. What can I do? I'll put her in hot pants. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You also wrote um, a couple of films, um, A Couple Takes a Wife and A Girl Who Came Gift Wrapped. I was able to find the first one of those movies and watched it um, yesterday. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, um, A Couple Takes a Wife um, found its way onto YouTube. And what was, how much of a transition was it for you to go from TV writing to writing a film? Well, see, we started out, they were called Movies of the Week, and it was mm-hmm. a new thing. They were two-hour movies. And once I, after my first year, I had done a lot of um, episodes. And then in my second year, I got offered, like, pilots and Movies of the Week and stuff like that. So, again, I pitched something from my own life. There was an article in Ms. Magazine about what do you do when you have a working wife? So you have to hire someone to do the things around the house. So that's what I made up the story, as if my husband and I had hired. It was um, Bill Bixby and Paul Prentice. We hired Valerie Perrine to be the wife. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't really know how to do it. I had a wonderful producer named George Eckstein who kind of walked me through it and taught me. Because back in the day, even at film school at UCLA, my graduate teacher was Francis Ford Coppola, actually. Wow. And I got an A on my script. <laughs> I want to know. So, um, but we really didn't learn the real world of showbiz. Now they know more than we do. I mean, every college that has film writing class. So I really had to learn, and George kind of walked me through it. It's longer, and you had to have scenes and act breaks and things like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, shift gears just slightly. Um, as I was listening through your book, um, I came up with a list of um, some of the amazing, no, the amazing people that that you happen to come across and work with, and um, there's just some of them that I'd like to hear you hear your experiences with. Um, first of all, being Lenny Bruce. Oh, Lenny Bruce! It's so funny. I just answered something on Instagram about it. Uh, young people don't know Lenny Bruce was the, in my mind, the greatest comedian that ever lived because he didn't tell jokes; he told truth and story that, uh, for example, he was so far ahead of himself, he said to make, in those days we called them um, black people, to make black people happy at a party, just say, gee, I eat Uncle Ben's rice and Aunt Jemima's syrup. I mean, that's how far ahead he was. So Mm -hmm. today we've just gotten rid of Aunt Jemima. 
Anyway, he's an amazing guy, and I um, was at a party in college, and his mother, who was a stripper, came to the party, and she said, oh, I want you to meet my son. You know, are you going with anybody? I said, no. And she brought him over. It was New Year's Eve. Why he had no place to be on New Year's Eve, I don't know. But anyway, we we went out on a date, Mm -hmm. but I brought my uncle with because I was afraid. I was a little sort of Jewish virgin in college, and he was a well-known drug addict comic. So my uncle came with me, but he was a brilliant man and so far ahead of his time and very, very sexy. The worst thing is I told you he had done a drawing for me and he Mm -hmm. wrote that. And then at the bottom he had written, Clark Gable found alive in Argentina, which was so funny. (laughs) And somebody stole it out of my house. Uh, My house. Yeah. Yeah, the the first record, I I had gone to the store to find... um, Lenny Bruce records, and the first one I found was "I'm Not a Nut, Elect Me." Oh, I don't know that one. And that one, he's he's um, it's the cover, and he has a, a black woman in one arm and an Asian woman in the other arm, and all behind him is like African American men dressed as like Klansmen. Oh my God. Yeah, I I can if you want to take a minute, I can show you that one. Oh, cool. Yeah, this was statue. Who's the statue behind? Um, Abraham Lincoln. I, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this, and as soon as I seen this, I was like, okay, this is the guy I need to listen to. Um, he was so far ahead. You know, he was persecuted and prosecuted, and they killed him, really, by, prosec- you know, by, by following him and arresting him over and over and over again. Yeah, they, he did see him like they really singled him out. Yeah, because he was the first... And he was the strongest, and he was dealing with the most controversial things, religion and everything else. Mm-hmm. And they, they persecuted him, and they, um, they killed him. Yeah. They drove him to it. A friend of mine was his lawyer during that time, and um, it was awful. It was real mm. McCarthy you know, time after him, and it, le- it led to his overdosing, I'm sure, of it, and his mental state deteriorating yeah no i mean that that much that much pressure pressure 24 7 cannot be easy and i actually about two years ago i got to lecture at brandeis his daughter opened up um an exhibit of his papers she donated the papers to brandeis and i saw they were doing that and i wrote a letter saying gee i'd like some information and they said why i said because i knew him and they asked me to speak and it was this First Amendment, really important thing. Mm. And I'm like, and I went out with him. And, you know, I was like, I'm little Annie Fanny. I mean, it was weird, but wonderful. Mm. He was an amazing, amazing person. And I had a fabulous thing. He drew for me a line and a corner. And this is how savvy he was. He knew me one night and he said, Susan, we'll go to the corner, but she's afraid to go around. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> lot of meaning in there yeah um so also one comedian to another mort Saul. you worked with oh, him mort, mort was difficult i mean <laughs> when i worked for him i have a story in the book about how he literally fired in the six months i was there every single person was fired i was like the only person left and the reason i was fired i tell the story in the book was like a silly little thing but he was very difficult later we became friends and he acknowledged that but he, he was and is a good guy 
And yeah. up until like last year, he was still doing sets out of a club in Mill Valley, California, in a chair. Yeah, I would and watch I, those. Yeah, he'd, did you? Yeah, he'd, he'd do them on like Facebook Live and Periscope. Yes. And it was, and he'd send in questions. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Very smart. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, so Ruth Buzzy. You're kind of you're yeah. good. I mean, you're really a student of all these things. How did you get interested in this? Well, I've been interested in comedy for a long time, and I slowly worked my way back into time through the big names, Carlin, Pryor, you know, those guys, and um, just kept digging and digging. And I heard um, an interview specifically about Lenny Bruce that said that it is hard for a younger generation to go back and understand his albums because um, the pacing is different, the subject matter is dated, and I sort of took that as a challenge to say, okay, so I went to a record store and started picking up Lenny Bruce albums. Wait, there are still record stores? Yeah, well, I happen to live like <laughs> right down the block from one, so I'm lucky You're in kidding. that, in that regard, live? Pennsylvania. Okay. But I guess got into the old comedy, and I was going to, my next name that I was going to hit you with was um, Shelley Berman, who oh, I was a big I, fan I... of didn't know him um i didn't meet him yeah the trio they were the trio kind of at the time yeah um i did work for don rickles though who was kind of oh yeah pain in the ass because he <laughs> always had to be the funniest person and whatever you did was never funny enough so i only did one show <laughs> but oh. he and bob newhart are best friends and here bob is the nicest person in the world so i don't know <laughs> yeah no opposites attract sometimes yes. <laughs> yeah so um on laughing, Ruth Buzzy, what was she like? Ruth was the delightful, wonderful, married to a good-looking guy, and she so sorry. Oh, it's okay. You are listening to the first station on your dot, WCNW, operating on a frequency of 1,500 kilocycles in Brooklyn, New York. Ruth Buzzy was the most delightful, darling, fun person, and she always played this ugly old lady, and she was married to a really handsome, tall guy. <laughs> she was just very funny, and she would do anything to make you laugh i mean she you know she already had a wonderful teaming Artie johnson and terrific terrific person dean martin oh <laughs> love love dean martin was in love with dean martin my whole life and funnily enough my uncle who was in showbiz um who lived in california which is how i actually got to california because i got to live with him my parents said if you go live with your uncle Cy, it'll be okay little did they know Right. He was a party animal, Cy Howard. He he did the first uh, Martin and Lewis movie, That's My Boy. And okay. I, didn't, I didn't get to meet Dean that way, but when I was at Laugh-In, Dean Martin's show was next door, and I used to always go there and see him in the hall, and he was so sexy and so handsome and, mm. and you know, cool. He right. was the height of cool, in my opinion. So did, did, in being around Dean Martin, did you ever run into the other members of the Rat Pack? Um, no, my uncle also, I think he did something with Frank Sinatra. Um, no, I had friends who worked, Gary Marshall worked for Joey Bishop, but no, Dean Martin was just so gorgeous. That's all I would have focused <laughs> that, on anyway. Okay, um, so on the, you mentioned your uncle. Um, now, if this is a different uncle, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the next name I wanted to um, say to you is Gloria Graham. Uh, um, he was married to Gloria. This is the same uncle, okay. Cy Howard, was married to Gloria Graham, who was the queen of noir film, for those of you who 
know those things and mm-hmm. those of you who don't can google her and she was also in um um oh the, the major movie with jimmy stewart it's major. a wonderful life yeah she, yeah she played the hooker in there and she was very sweet and a little mm, disturbed i guess right yeah, yeah as, as artists tend to be <laughs> on my list over here alan alda Oh, Alan Alda is the second nicest guy in show business and, and the greatest guy. And, and we um, we did a pilot together. I, I wrote a pilot for him, which never got on, starring Paul Servino. But he was terrific, and he still is. And um, funnily enough, um, I, I don't know much about, like, Instagram and stuff like that. But when I did my book tour, they told me to go on Instagram and post things about the book, about my life. So I did. And the picture of me and Alan Alda got the most whatever wow. you call them, not clicks mm-hmm. but whatever you call them likes right. of anybody because everybody loves it <laughs> yeah no he um and like he's in so many things you know like he yeah. just keeps popping up and um, still and he's he's wonderful yeah so after um your writing and showbiz began to slow down a little bit um you got into involved in something that was interesting to me um you started working with holocaust survivors i retired very young and very early in 1989 we had a writer's guild strike mm-hmm. and i said it was going to last like six months and we couldn't work so i said well i'll take a vacation to new york and i never went back <laughs> <laughs> i sold my house and my car in three weeks and i moved to new york and i was very lucky um i got to take a year off and I networked with like everybody I could think of. And I met somebody um, who said that he was friends with the head of the Anti-Defamation League, mm-hmm. Abe Foxman, and did I want to meet with him? I said, sure, because I'm, I'm not religious at all, but I'm very Israel-oriented. Mm-hmm. And my dad was kind of a, a brilliant writer and lawyer, and he used to study the Holocaust and everything. So I went there. I said, I don't want to be a fundraiser. I ran their speakers bureau. So I would hire all the speakers for our events. And then I would go to Washington and meet people. And and that's when I met Bill Clinton. And yeah, it was really interesting. And then I was the UN observer for the Simon Wiesenthal Center for a long time. I did it as a volunteer. And that was very unpleasant because at the UN, it's very anti-Israel. And I was mm-hmm. always frustrated and upset. Gotcha. <laughs> What was Bill Clinton like? Oh, Bill Clinton's great. I have a wall in my hallway of pictures of Bill Clinton. I worked on his campaign. I had some friends there. And um, you could never get him out of a room because he always wanted to talk to every person. And every picture is me pulling him out of a room because he's shaking hands with somebody. And um, we remained friends after. I wanted to work in the administration. And my friend said, well, we'll get you a speechwriting job. I said, oh, good. I'm going to be a speechwriter in the White House. And then they said, okay, you're going to be a speechwriter for NASA. I said, wow. I don't even know what NASA is. <laughs> I had the lowest math boards ever to go to Northwestern and science. I know nothing about, so no thank you. So I didn't do it. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so let's go into what inspires you to write your book, Hot Pants in Hollywood. Well, it's funny you mentioned the, the Jim Morrison thing. I was at a Vanity Fair party. Mm-hmm. was sitting next to their music gal. And I said, well, you know, I went to school with Jim Morrison. When I was at Northwestern, I brought Ray Charles for a concert. I know all these music people. She said, well, why don't you write an article about it? I said, okay. So I started writing it, and I was going to call it Name Dropping. And then Franklin Jella came out with a book called Name Dropping. So I think, oh. you know, I have a lot of names to drop. 
But I also want to write about being a woman in feminism, being a baby boomer and going through what we all have, mm -hmm. um, death of parents, illness, divorce, other things like that. So the book became Sex, Secrets, and Sitcoms, more than just the name dropping. Mm -hmm. So at that point, how long did the book take you to write? Was it a long process or was it easy? No, it was hard. It was really hard. It was. Um, it took me two years to write, and I had I worked with a couple different people, editors, and I was so fortunate to work with um, the editor of Mitch Album's book, Miss um, Wells, mm -hmm. and I thought that that I had sort of hit the the top on that, and she helped me, and then my agent tried to submit it. And everybody said, oh, we love it, we love it, but it has to be more salacious, actually. They said the word salacious. Hmm, okay. what is it? Well, you have to tell every tale. I said, no, that's not why I'm writing the book. I'm not going to do it. So after a year, a friend of mine who had self-published 10 books said, you know, you should do this yourself because you can call it what you want. You can have the first chapter what you want. You can do whatever you want. And if you do it with a publisher, it's going to take two years. The editor will die, and then you'll have to have somebody else just start uh -huh. all so that's what I did, and it turned out really well, <laughs> if I do say so myself. It, did, it got up to, like, number nine on Kindle and Amazon, so that was really cool. Oh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. So it's it's available both in hard copy form and audiobook. It's read by you. It's read by me because, you know, an actor can read a, um, a novel, but it seemed weird to let somebody else read my life. Yeah. You know, it just didn't seem right. And the best thing that that I've been told and that reviews have said is that it feels like I'm talking to you directly, like you and I are sitting and talking now, which is right. what I had hoped it would be. Yeah, I always do prefer when the author is, especially if it's autobiographical, when the author is reading their book, because it is, you know, it's your story to tell. And some just hire. Some writers can't, can't talk, you know. Some writers can't pitch. And I always I say to them, when you're doing sitcoms, get a partner who's funny and go in with them. You can sit there and be quiet. <laughs> gotcha. That makes sense. Um, so where can people find the book? It's on Amazon. It's on um, Book Baby. It's on Barnes & Noble. It's kind of everywhere. But my website, can I say my website? Yeah, no, definitely. Which is obviously www.hotpantsinhollywood.com. Um, Dot com And if you go on there, you can get a free chapter. You just email me, and there's a chapter not in the book, which I will now send you. Okay, great. And it's about um, my 50th birthday. I'm between 50 and death. I refuse to age. <laughs> and it's what I gave myself, uh, sort of a rock and roll present. I'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> no, no, you don't want to give it all away. You want people to, to come in and purchase the book. Um, so yeah. Well, I also don't name names. Remember, I'm not being silly. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, we got to leave a little bit up to imagination. <laughs> but it was so great um, speaking with you this afternoon. Thank you. Thank and, you for uh, doing this. I'm thrilled to have you on um, um, for doing you. this. Thank you. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed your book very much. Um, I appreciate you, you giving me the chance to listen to it. I had seen episodes of these shows that you worked on, but this gave me a reason to really dive into it. It's and, a good uh, show. It's yeah. a wonderful show. And it holds up today. And I have to tell you, when I was on my book tour, it's so interesting. Gay guys and single women were like the big fans. On Saturday night, everybody <laughs> stayed home. And a guy came up to me and he said, I want you to know my mother 
was coming in from Europe, and I said, I can't pick you up because it's Saturday night. I have to watch Mary, so you have to take a cab. I said, oh, my God, okay. Yeah, that, that's serious, man. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much, honey. Really love yes, this. Thank you for doing this, too, and I'll keep you in the loop. Okay, bye. Okay, take care. That was a fun conversation, and I hope you guys enjoyed it, too. There's even more stories where those came from in Susan Silver's book, Hot Pants in Hollywood, Sex, Secrets, and Sitcoms. The three S's. And um, you can find her book on her website, hotpantsinhollywood.com. Or you can go on Amazon. You can get a hard copy version of it. Or you can get the audiobook version through Audible. Either way, it's a great read or it's a great listen. Next week, we got another great guest. Stay tuned for the announcement on that. And um, you can find more of my work on Instagram, at Albert Shivers. And even though Isaac Wilson wasn't on sound today, I'm going to shout him out anyway because he's my buddy. Isaac Wilson's work can be found on Instagram at when underscore in underscore zen. Again, hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. You can find this episode and many, many more. We're in the 30s now of episodes. We're, we're getting there. we got a nice library. You can find all the episodes and more on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, the podcast app, and on YouTube with video content. There will also be companion videos, little clips for this conversation with Susan. You can also find clips from my last conversation with Ella Steinbeck on YouTube. Go on my YouTube channel, Albert Shivers YouTube channel. Look for Planet Shivers video. And I'm going to be trying to make more video content with these podcasts finally. I also revamped my Facebook pages. Got my personal page, which is open to the public, and the Albert Shivers visual artist page. It's art, it's podcasts, it's fun stuff. No drama, just fun. Thank you again for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll all catch you next week. Be healthy and keep your wits about you. <laughs>